Hello, this is Mary. And this is Chandler. And you're listening to The Miss Fisher Files. Hello again. Today we're talking about Season 1, Episode 7, Murder in Montparnasse. And I said it wrong. Montparnasse. 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 Oui. <laughs> and <laughs> for those who don't totally remember, it starts with a visit, a surprise visit, by Franny's old friend from Paris, Veronique Sarcelle. Veronique Sarcelle. She arrives out of the blue, in theory, to see Franny. Mon petit Franny. <laughs> There's some excellent fake French accents in this. There could be no brave new world without brave new out. <laughs> I really, yeah, I, I, I had to be in a certain place during this whole episode, which I love. I very much love this oh, episode. Oh, I love this episode. However, the plot, come on. There's oh. some serious coincidences happening yes, here. So it happens that Bert and Tomo and Ronnie are... The soldiers that happened to run into Rene Dubois, or the person we find out is the Rene murderer. Dubois. In the 1919. Murderer in 1919, who had just who are killed. stealing the painting of Naked Franny. <laughs> and so the case has been reopened a decade later. I can't remember why. Yeah. I think Veronique claims it's because now Sarcel's work is selling, and so they like reopened the case. That's called a so flimsy now, plot hole, is what that's called. Yes, it is. <laughs> so now the murderer has come like around the world to find. The uh, soldiers that... I mean, how did he even know that there were... Since they didn't even know what they saw. No. I know. Yeah, Bert puts it together as he's being shot at. Maybe you shouldn't have shot at Bert. Maybe you should have just stayed and left it alone. Should we be doing a recap? (sighs) Aren't we supposed to start with a recap? Yeah. Thank God for editing. Okay. (laughs) I think you should tell the recap of the episode in a French accent. <laughs> I, won't, I won't put anyone through that, including you. Before the opening, we see the reenactment of the Sarcel artist being pushed under the train mm-hmm. by some unknown figure. And then we see that unknown, unknown figure running into three soldiers. And then we go into the intro. Do you want to add anything? I don't know what I, I'm doing I, here. I'm just, while you're telling this story, I, I just have this picture in my head of the three soldiers who are so clearly, I mean, okay, I know this is, that was, I guess, World War One issue uniforms, but could there be anything more Australian than the silhouette of these three guys in these big floppy hats looking like the crocodile hunter, like on the platform? <laughs> That's all I could think of. <laughs> So, yeah, they're singing. They're clearly, like, pretty drunk. Pretty, it's the end of the war. The war's over, right? And, but they haven't gone yeah. home yet. And they're just, they run into this guy who drops his painting. Apparently, they return the painting to the authorities. And they, they barely even catch a glimpse of this guy. And it turns out this is the murderer of mm-hmm. Sarcel, the artist. And he somehow... And you know he's an artist because he's wearing a beret. <laughs> He's actually, he's French, and he's wearing a beret. Let it be noted. (laughs) Somehow he remembered the faces of Bert and Bert's two friends, Tomo and Ronnie. I can't believe you remember those names. I just watched this episode an hour ago, and I don't remember these. No, I I had to take some notes. (laughs) I'll be honest. So all of a sudden, these guys are getting knocked off by this murderer who's in town. And can I add that these are the first murders that we've seen that have been really grisly. Yeah. The murders in this episode are ghastly. They're ghastly murders. So, getting run over by the car. Yeah, that's pretty gross. We don't really see it, though. Getting lit on fire. That one, okay. That, that is that's a pretty whole harsh. different level. And also, just seems highly illogical like really difficult to plan and not very efficient not efficient at all you really have to rely on this guy lots of evidence left behind too he's got to be a really sound sleeper and it it just makes no sense um franny says he's an opportunist so i don't know did he happen upon some matches and gasoline to make that one happen but whenever i see gasoline i I stock (laughs) up because you never know who can i light on fire today (laughs) (laughs) you just never know when you're gonna need it 
Yeah. I mean, running, running, uh, was it Tomo down in the car was, it was pretty straightforward, but yeah. Pouring oh. gasoline and, and setting fire to Ronnie. I'm trying to remember because we've, we've been, you know, we, we have been recording these podcasts in order, but there's some gaps between mm-hmm. when we do these. So I forget. Is this the first time we've had a gunfight outside of, of Friday's house? Because it won't be the last. No, there has already been some gunfight. Yeah, I think it was the Latvians. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. Latvian shootout. Well, now yeah. we have French shootouts in front of the house. But it's not in front of her house. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I took notes on Wait, this. Wait, really? Yeah. Where the kids are playing in the street and Bert, like, tries to... Bert and Sess are walking down the street. Uh-huh. And I think it's in front of Franny's house. And they're holding a bottle of wine. And the bottle of wine gets shot out of their hands. Right. Because Franny yells just in time. And yeah. Because, so of course, Franny's team... there just in yeah. time. Yeah. And, and scary French Dubois guy is across the street in a car. <sighs> I don't think it's in front of her house, but I'll have to rewatch. I kind of want to go look it up now. Yeah, I kind of do I've too. I've got it up. I can, okay. Can we All pause? Right. Let's for pause. <laughs> Watched it. <laughs> <laughs> and the debate has been settled. That is, in fact, Friday's house. So there was more gunplay in front of her house. International gunfight in front of the house. Part two. Part two. Part two. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, but that reminded me. That scene drives me crazy. So this is pretty close to the end of the show. It when is, yeah. Rene Dubois steps out of the shadows and he's going to go... He's Looking kind of sexy in that outfit. He kinda, yeah, kind of does. Um, and he's going to shoot Bert, but Franny warns Bert just in time and he moves slightly and so it's only his beer bottle that gets it. Anyway, so then Jack and Franny put up a chase for like 10 feet approximately and then oh, and he like, escapes <laughs> down the alley how many times in this show have people escaped down the alley and Franny's like oh we'll get him later oh my gosh I know they stand there kind of just looking at each other like where did he go I don't understand and where he went and it happens in the same episode when she gets burgled by Dubois and and Mr. Butler, Butler shows up too late in his bathrobe yep. with the cricket bat again he does say that there was a car parked in the laneway like a getaway vehicle. But he does say, shouldn't we call the police? And she's like, nah, we'll do it later. Yeah. And once again, he arrives too late in his robe after she's bat. already been like, kind of, I mean, she, she really got gets it. Kind of like, beat she up gets this assaulted time. in that one. Her, yeah. She has a bruise on her side. It's pretty yep. bad. Yep. So yeah, she gets beaten up and as always, Mr. Butler misses it. He must be a uh, heavy sleeper, that one. <laughs> <laughs> So this one, this episode, even though the entire plot is kind of ridiculous. Fred Bear. Yeah. It gives us some really good um, ideas of how Franny was when she was younger. Yep. And sets... Good backstory. Mm -hmm. um, Good meaty stuff between Dot and her priest and Mr. Butler. Yes. That is good. Um... Oh, and, well, I won't say it because we're not there yet, but you know what happens later in this episode. Yep. Just, yeah. Um, (laughs) This is the art episode, and oh my God, do I have art notes for you. Art notes. Art notes. Art notes. We need, like, a little This is the segment on the show where we have art (laughs) notes. Okay, so there's a lot of paintings in this episode. And um, and I've been noticed. I mean, I, I always notice the art on the walls anyway. But there there is in the previous episode, which we didn't talk about in Ruddy Gore. There's a glimpse of what appears to be a Gustav Klimt painting on her bedroom wall that we see. And I di- I was looking for it in this one, but I didn't catch it. So I don't know if it's still in there. But there's a bunch of other stuff. There's of course the two nudes who, that were painted by Sarcel. One that kind of classic odalisque pose by Veronique, and then of course Re- Phryne's reclining nude. And, and it's interesting, that painting style, whoever did that painting, and I don't know who they got to do it, but they they kind of were replicating a style that was popular at that time. It reminds me a lot of, like, Egon Schiele's work, kind of the, um, the Viennese painters, um, like Klimt. Um, but there's, there's, a, there's a detail in there that always makes me laugh, and that is there's a scene where Mr. Butler... Um, comes in when Veronique is there and she asks Mr. Butler to wrap up the other painting 
behind Mr. Butler, there is a tiny little Picasso on the wall, and it's a really famous painting. It's it's Les Demoiselles d'Avignon, which is his painting of the Cubist women with the tribal mask faces. Hmm. It's a very famous painting, but the painting in the in the show is tiny. It's probably an eight inch square painting. The original painting is in the Museum of Modern Art in New York and the thing is like eight feet tall. So it's, and this is not the first time I've seen that painting in popular culture. It's a really famous painting and it also makes a cameo, a fairly blatant and obvious cameo in Titanic where they're in her stateroom and she's bought all of these paintings and she has also Les Demoiselles d'Avignon, also at the wrong size. It's not tiny, but it's not (laughs) eight feet tall either and Billy Zane comes in and says oh this Picasso guy won't amount to anything except Picasso was already well known by 1912 so So he's just really clueless yeah yeah so it's kind of interesting but I think it's an interesting choice of painting to have in Franny's house even though it's clearly not an original because it's not the huge painting Um, because when that painting was first exhibited in 1916 it was banned for being an immoral painting. Oh, wow. So I'm thinking, of course that's the one Phryne's going to want in her house. <laughs> that's the list that she goes from oh, when yeah. she's trying to pick her art. Like, I bet she reads all the banned books. She like, does, yeah. actually. <laughs> yeah. And she also, there's one other painting that I noticed. She has what appears to be a Modigliani painting over her bed, hmm. another nude. And I bring all this up just because I love how the, the scene dressers of this show are not afraid of having nudity in the background it's just not a big deal they Mm -hmm. flirt with it a little bit of course you know at the end when jack sees the painting Mm -hmm. but if this were on american television there'd be no nude paintings on the wall no No. matter that it's a hundred year old painting it wouldn't be in there no it'd be scandalous yeah oh totally (laughs) but you know some of these paintings that she chose were scandalous at the time Mm -hmm. and of course course Franny went straight for him so post-war in the books her father like basically commissioned her to seek out new art in Paris wow and then she'd send it back to him and he'd sell it for a really big profit well you know that would have I bet that would have been a big uh, you know thing at the time and there's there's always a huge um kind of black market art thing that happens whenever there's a war like um, Japanese art in after the second world war was a big thing people were Mm. getting like original hook size for a steel in back alleys (laughs) and selling them to American collectors for huge profits I mean that's always a big thing it's interesting it's interesting that she went there in the yeah I'd love to read that that was a big plot line in the books and it made a lot of sense and I think it translates very nicely to the show where Mm -hmm. now Franny has this wonderful art collection of masters some of which she's posed for herself (laughs) (laughs) and I love like another I mean it's kind of charming but it's so silly the whole thing where what what Bert doesn't realize is he's just uh, you know ripped open the wrapping on the painting of his future employer (laughs) What are the odds? What are the odds? <laughs> it's like it's a movie. <laughs> so I really appreciate this episode because of those flashbacks to mm. Franny's time in Paris after yeah. the war when she's the artist model. She's and a very different person. She really is. I mean, she's still um, she's still a bit of a firecracker. But very vulnerable. Yeah. She doesn't have quite the confidence that we see later Mm -hmm. she certainly doesn't have the resources right and what i wrote down is this is the only time or maybe this is the last time where she lets the man in her life call the shots yeah yeah i think i think so and i'm glad that this episode is in here because it really gives us a better idea of why she is that way yeah so she clearly wasn't born this way right and but yeah she's so clearly she so clearly values her independence especially from men that well and it shows her being cowed by this guy mm-hmm. who which is hard to imagine from like current right Friday. you know it's it's hard to imagine she was that way but it makes sense yep and if you think about what she had just been through you know the war had just ended she would have been seeing terrible things and trying to put a, some semblance of a normal life back together and mm-hmm. even though she was hanging out with these bohemians and posing nude and doing all of these things that are supposedly liberated she still was afraid and and in some in some places downright meek which is yeah kind of jarring it is it's hard to watch that because it just does not fit with my 
mental image of her, but then she's had many years to live and grow from that experience. And, and I think it's really important that we see that because yeah. especially those who have been in abusive relationships to see that she comes out of it a stronger person right. and has persevered and now calls her own shots and she's not going to let that happen again. I mean, right. I feel like there's a lot of value to that. I, I, I think it, I know I fall into this trap sometimes when, when I see somebody that I, a woman that I really admire or someone who's, who I see as being very confident, sometimes it's easy to think to yourself, Oh, I could never do that. I, I mm-hmm. could never be that way. But in general, I think people aren't born like that. I mean, our lives are a sum of experiences Mm -hmm. and much of what we think of as making up who we are, those things evolve and change and they come out of the experiences we have. So I I think we couldn't have the Franny we know and love if she hadn't gone through this. Yes, I totally agree. I think for the most part when they do flashbacks, it's pretty seamless. And I think Essie Davis is this such an ageless, beautiful person that um, I, it never bugs me when they right. when I when we see her ten years before looking younger. But these kind of bugged me mostly because Rene Dubois is clearly still sixty years old. Yeah, he looks exactly the same. Yeah, and so does Veronique. And we put the I mean, artist in a silly beret and made his oh hair longer. And, yeah, and even Friny's like, let's make Friny's hair rattier so we know it's a different time. Like, mm. yeah. I appreciated the costume change. That was a very period costume they put her in, but I didn't, yeah, some, I think that was not quite as successful as some of their other flashbacks that they've done. I would imagine flashbacks are really hard to yeah. do. Yeah. So, yeah, they, the, the flashbacks to Farini's life after the war are minimal, but they give us just enough backstory to understand her fear of being trapped in a relationship and how she handles all of her future relationships. Yeah. And so it really makes a lot of sense then to see that and to apply that to what we have seen so far in the show. And to help us understand that the living that she did after the war has really made her seem worldly in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting you bring up the idea of fear too because I kind of noted at the end that this is the first time we really see her truly afraid. Yes. She is really afraid this time. She is visibly upset when she figures out that, that it must be Renee Dubois who's in town. Mm-hmm. And we really have not seen that no. from her before. And I think the only other comparison I can make would be to her reaction to her father. Yeah. Like Renee and her father set Shake her, her off. Yeah. yeah. Like well, no and, one else. And the 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 bad guy at the end of season one. Yes. True. But right. it's a different, it's different. Him? It's different. I feel like that's a different mm-hmm. she's reaction. Still, I think she's still calmer with him. That's I mean, much more shaken. of fear. And she's angry. She's yeah. angry on behalf of her sister. I think with Renee, she is really shaken because this guy knew her intimately. This guy got yeah. to her and she, I think she feels that he could still hurt her, which he obviously can. He right. can. He is very much a threat. So Franny gets hired on by, <laughs> by Burton Sess to do better research than they feel Jack is doing, looking into... Hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like, <laughs> hire Franny. I love that she turns their money away. Like, I know. No. <laughs> that was, it was a really charming it was. scene. So then that leads to the great scene in the office, in Jack's office with the little toy cars. Oh, I wrote that down too. That's adorable. It is. Even Jack going beep beep. That's (laughs) adorable. (laughs) And I love how Hugh is not not liking this. No, he is very upset. Don't play with my cars. And he gives Jack a look like, I can't believe that you joined in. You're playing with my cars. You betrayed me. (laughs) Those are my cars. And then when he, when Hugh is standing there, they're trying to, they're like sorting out where the car could have ended up and they're outside and he's trying to consult his notes, but he can't get there fast enough. And they're asking him all the questions. He's like, oh, just wait. Uh, it. Oh, Hugh. I know. It's so funny. He is such a good actor. He really is. I, he just, like, if you ever want like to, I don't know, have a fulfilling moment, just watch him in a scene because his, <laughs> he's priceless. His, his expressions, his looks. That's one of the things I enjoy about rewatching yeah. all of the shows. If you can watch somebody else in a scene and yeah. see how... The, I love doing that. 
And Hugh, like, he never fails. He is just funny the entire time. And he, it's always perfect. He just comes through. He is so pitch perfect. It's mm-hmm. great. And I think Dot, too. I think um, Ashley Burt, is that her name? Cummings. Sorry, Ashley Cummings. She is much more understated. Um, you know, Hugh, Hugh is always kind of, he's, he's just kind of out there. But, yeah. But I feel like Dot is sometimes a little bit more of a surprise mm-hmm. and a little bit more of a slow burner. Yeah. And I, I love that about her. I love the whole thing where Mr. Butler teaches her the fine art of extortion. <laughs> this is just so, so good. good. That whole thing, you know, she's, she's so matronly and motherly pulling her little loaves out of the oven and, and sad that her priest won't let her, you know, he draws the line at kissing a Protestant. You know, it's okay if you're a, a, a hostage in a Latvian gunfight, but, right. you know, I draw the line at kissing a Protestant. And th- that whole scene is well, just priceless. I think the priest even condemned her for being held hostage in the first place because doesn't it's either Mr. Butler or Hugh or like, but you were a hostage at that point. You had no yeah. choice in the matter. Blame the victim. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that he says, you're a woman of influence, Dorothy. <laughs> and I, okay, here's a quote that I wrote down. Okay. Mr. Butler says, okay, what would Miss Fitcher do? And Dot answers, well, she'd probably make a big donation or pull a gun on him. <laughs> I, I do find myself asking, what would Franny Fisher do? I do, too. On a semi-regular basis. I do, too. I feel like Franny is just there with me. Yep. I don't care that she's a fictional character. No. She's real. She is real. She's real in my heart. Yep. I try to channel her a few times a day, I think. Oh, so Mr. Butler, he is so good in this episode. And, I, oh, yeah, yeah, I love that he, like, counsels And there's a lot Dot. of him. There is a lot of Hallelujah. him. And I'm so glad. Yeah. He's... He's wonderful. He's such He's not a, just appearing with the Turkish delight on a plate. <laughs> no. He is really in this episode. He really is. And he is such a good mentor, I guess, for Dot. Like he really cares about her and it's just it's nice to see that yeah. that warm relationship that they have. That kind of fatherly figure. Mm-hmm. So the other thing that's interesting about Dot in this episode, and specifically her the situation she's going through with her priest, it exposes a lot of hypocrisy mm. because she knows that the priest is betting on the result of this fundraiser, the church fet fate, yeah. which seems pretty immoral to me. Yeah. And yet he is condemning her for being held hostage, for dancing, for kissing a boy. So, Oh, not just any boy, though. No, a Protestant. A pro- yeah, yeah, a Protestant boy. Sorry. Someone who doesn't difference. believe in direct intercession, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was really good, too, that she's sort of recognizing that maybe the she priest has power. isn't. Yeah, yeah, she has power. Maybe the priest isn't always right. Yeah. I feel like that's a real turning point for her because Dot is one of these characters, one of these people who clearly respects authority mm-hmm. and trusts authority. And, you know, Franny doesn't trust authority. And when we find out who her dad is, we figure out pretty quickly why she right. is quick to not trust authority. And and even Jack kind of has this moment where, you know, later in, on in the show where he someone he looked up to betrays him. But Dot is very trusting. And Dot, and who would you trust more than a priest? Your, your priest mm-hmm. that you grew up, who baptized you, who confirmed you. Who would you trust more than that? And I think... When she finally has this moment, it's not like a she's not appalled. It's just this kind of slow, like, oh, well. Mm-hmm. Even maybe, priests maybe. are human. Yeah. Even the authority figure may yeah. slip up from yep. time to time. Yeah. I think Franny does a really good job of sort of ushering her through that realization, too, throughout the series. Yeah, let's take a second and look back. Just six episodes ago, <laughs> this is the girl who wouldn't answer the phone. <laughs> Because her priest told her. Because her priest told her. Was connected to the center of the earth. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yep. <laughs> How far she has come. Go, Dot. I know. Really true. <laughs> oh, man. Um, you know, there's... Uh, I think in the, the last episode, I kind of got pretty harsh about some, some details that I saw. And I feel like this, this episode kind of redeems itself. Uh, 
mini Picassos notwithstanding, <laughs> there's just some really delightful little design details that I just kind of revel in and I, I love, like the, the little, the ad in the directory for the Seaside Hotel, like the mm-hmm. typography of that was perfect and so period and so beautiful. I mean, it might have even been a real ad that right. they may have yeah. used. Um, and I loved in the in the creepy lead up to the burning alive scene, there's a really great ghost sign in the background for Macaulay's furniture. <laughs> <laughs> and I was you know, like, I should really be creeped out right now, but I'm just admiring that sign. <laughs> Because that is really good. The lettering on that is just fantastic. (laughs) Such good lettering. (laughs) Sign painting. (laughs) And and also just the little details in her house. And I know we've talked about this before, but you really get some good close-ups of like the stenciling on her walls or that beautiful china pattern that she has. I am in love with her china and the little, the cream pitcher that she has. Oh, yeah. With the little, oh, the little green. Oh, love that. Love that. And we get a really good close-up of her. China when she gets stood up by Veronique for dinner. She's waiting at the table. Um, and of course her fabulous kind of Cruella de Vil style telephone which I love. <laughs> <laughs> How- Friday is like the anti-Cruella de Vil but they yeah. have a kind of a similar sense of style I have to That's say. That's really true. <laughs> put that together but you're absolutely <laughs> right that's the, the opposite sides of the, the, the th- yeah, yeah. opposite sides of the coin <laughs> that's really funny <laughs> oh man how do you feel tell me how you feel about the whole cafe repli- replique thing i hate to say it but what are the odds that you're going to do a replica cafe in australia I, yeah, I wanted to know more backstory. How did that guy go from Paris to Australia? Yeah. Why? Why did he totally replicate the original cafe? Because and especially since what are the odds that all your friends from Paris are yeah. also going to come halfway around the world in an arduous journey on a steamership to go to Melbourne? I feel like if you do it, it's because you have somebody like Franny Fisher who is like giving you the money to do it so that she can relive. Right those experiences but maybe she, she i mean we this is the only time we ever see her yeah, there that's true so she's not a regular <laughs> but of course she's old friends with the guy because it wouldn't be a murder it's like, just like all murder mysteries it wouldn't be a murder mystery without the <laughs> the heroine or the hero having old friends in really weird places that's true <laughs> like murder she wrote the, the running gag of the endless nieces and nephews that she has <laughs> in all these random places <laughs> Oh yeah, I'm in California because my nephew's wedding or it's an extensive family tree. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, it, it's frustrating because it's just so obviously a plot device, and I wish that it could have been incorporated into her like quote unquote real life. Yeah. A little bit more yeah. instead of just being sort of because never mind that you know Paris is you know the largest city in France and all of that. Like, of course we're gonna have these two people who knew each other in Paris. Yep with their Australian friend who happened to be in Paris with them. They're all together again in Australia. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, I, I am all, like, I can very easily put my disbelief up on the shelf. Like, I have no <laughs> problem doing that. But even I was like, come on. Yeah, I know. That strained <laughs> credulity a bit. But the whole Café Replique thing is pretty worth doing just to hear Jack say that snails are like buttered pieces of India rubber. <laughs> a pretty good setup for that joke. Yeah. <laughs> so should we talk about that scene now? Oh, or yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think this episode is referred to as the kiss. Well, yeah. On uh, on Tumblr sometimes because yeah. Well, because this is the only one we're gonna get for some time. For a Thank very you very long much. Time. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly. So sorry. Spoiler alert. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> okay. I want to back up a little bit and go to a different topic, which is side character. Oh, I there's some good love, ones in this. I love the uh, bookie. Oh yeah, Hector Chambers. Oh yeah, that he is so fun to watch. He's a little sleazy and wily, and you know that he's just in it for whatever he can get yeah. out of any Why situation. Don't you tell me, and yeah. he doesn't drink. Right, that's hilarious. Yeah. It, he is just so fun to watch. Yeah, like he's a perfect antihero. Yep. I want him to succeed, even though he's directly against Friday and Jack. But although I they love work the together. secret blackboard behind him, oh, and he's yeah. like, how did that get there? <laughs> just... Oh, by the way, this is maybe the one time I've noticed men's apparel. His tie, when he's in the jail cell, is phenomenal. It is. I, I absolutely love that tie. Well done on the menswear spotting. And Thank I was, you. And I would add... 
this is the first time, and maybe the only, I, I can't think of another scene. And I'm thinking of when they, go, they we first meet our bookie friend in the speakeasy. Jack is wearing a brown suit and hat. Not gray, but brown. And I think this is the only time we see him really? in a brown suit. Wow. Because I kind of think of Jack as being, his signature color is like gray with maybe a navy tie, French maybe an gray. ochre tie. Oh, oh yeah, warm you. gray. We've got to go to the, the French gray. <laughs> I think you called it a few, few episodes ago. Yeah. His color is French gray, it's, which it's I really like. It's just like how Dot's color is brown and, mm. and peach. And Phryne is usually in like the the reds, reds and blacks and whites. Jewel tones, yeah. Yeah. We see Jack in brown. And it kind of was like, wow. Hmm. Now, I know that the, the, the color range of menswear, is, yeah. especially for straight menswear, is generally very small range. <laughs> so you notice when you go from gray to brown. I suppose so. It's a you, pretty major you shift. Noticed. I didn't even notice. I just noticed that guy's tie because it's fantastic. It's, yeah, and that's probably the end of my... Oh, but there are fantastic ties in this show. Yeah, there are. In general. I definitely agree. And I am someone who hates 90% of all ties because I think they're too much. And there are some beautiful ties in this show. I mean, I was waxing poetic about Lean's tie tag in the last podcast. That's true. I believe you refer to it as sexy Sexy tie tag. I don't know what's wrong with me. (laughs) So what other outfits in this one i actually didn't i don't think i made a list i think it's not as fabulous as the other one but i did notice the reappearance of my favorite naples yellow shoes that Mm. she wears i love those shoes i want those shoes so hard and she wears them again um she does wear an interesting kind of sheer robe isn't the right word like jacket cardigan thing at the very beginning it's very it's 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 like a a sheer almost tulle something finer than tulle I don't know what's finer than tulle but it's embroidered with these kind of cream and very pale chartreuse um, flower Hmm. rosettes that are just stunning and they're very big okay but it's very subtle the overall effect is kind of white on white but it's just lovely I'm not pulling that up in my head it's at the very beginning okay Um, and then she of course like I swear there's there's got to be a law that she wears a cloche hat at some she must have yeah. like 55 cloche hats in that closet because she wears a white one this time <laughs> <laughs> um and i think of course her um her her flashback costume oh yeah that that that's definitely a different era i mean it's it's the 19 teens were this interesting transition between the victorian bustle and corset combination that was so iconic and then the 1920s where everything is very stick figure mm-hmm. and no curves at all so that this the 19 teens was kind of the transition between those periods so we get it kind of has a basic victorian shape so she definitely she's wearing a corset under there yeah. still but it's very cinched in at the waist but with a with a kind of a broad band and it's definitely a top and skirt not a full huh. okay i'm dress. gonna have to watch that again i just get pirate from that outfit big hat it's the big hat big hat yep. I just always think oh, and the ratty hair what's with the hair it's hard to take care of your, your hair when you're in the middle of a war in I France I guess yeah didn't they invent hair care products or something maybe after the war when everybody came back with ratty hair <laughs> Marie Antoinette got her head chopped off and I bet her hair was impeccable thank you very much <laughs> So my favorite outfit is the one that she wears at the very end. The one that oh, she's the wearing. Oh, yes. and the diamond oh, necklace. Yes. Yeah. That necklace is, that's insane. It's like a collar. And I, it looks, don't lean forward. You'll stab yourself in the throat. It looks very pokey and yeah. uncomfortable, but stunning. Beautiful. And yeah, her head. And there's some interesting thing. kind of like cord work, like braided cord work hmm. around the brim of that hat that is that is really lovely and then it kind of disappears into that massive ostrich feather <laughs> and i love that it comes down over yeah. her shoulder and good disguise she doesn't want to mm-hmm. be seen yep yeah <laughs> doesn't quite work she needs to you know make out with jack for that really to work but i'm not complaining <laughs> no i'm not either <laughs> and the shirt is like a black chiffon or tulle or yeah. something it's very dramatic she and wears a lot of kind of two-piece stuff in this mm-hmm. in this episode like she wear when she gets when the burglar shows up she's wearing that kind of chartreuse colored yeah under it's under like a dress. camisole yeah, yeah that's the right word i think mm-hmm. silk she wears a lot of those she can pull it off 
totally can. I know. You and have plus to be, be small chested to do it. Yes. And she, she, yeah. I could not do that. I, I could can't not do either. that. Yeah, no But it works here. really well for her character yeah. and all of her outfits. And it, they just sort of blend seamlessly from yeah. one to the next. When you start with like a foundation of ivory, you can wear kind of any color on top, which she does. Yeah. And she often, you know, it helps. She's petite, so I think she can really pull it off too. But I, I think, you know, she also is not afraid of wearing big, bold mm-hmm. patterns, prints. Like, even mm-hmm. that really subtle, sheer cardigan thing from the beginning. I mean, it's a very subtle pattern, but the pattern is huge. Like, yeah. the flowers are enormous. So, and she and she wears these massive feathers, and she can totally get away with that. It just It just works on her. She's got this mm-hmm. kind of larger-than-life personality, and it comes through in her clothing choices. And, you know, Dot, Dot is such a different figure. And it's mm-hmm. funny, you know, Dot is... Dot is busty. Dot is much more fuller figured than than Franny is, but she wears this such mousy, sooty, matronly, mm-hmm. librarian-y outfits. Yeah. Oh, Dot. Her outfits say, don't look at me. <laughs> I want to see that girl in a ball gown. <laughs> Season four. Come on. Yeah. Man. So... Another, I think we still need to talk about the end, the kiss, and then the interaction at her house and her parlor. Yeah. But, so, um, when they are trying to track down the car that would have broken down, um, oh, yeah. it's Cess and Bert and Jack and Franny. And, and Hugh. Oh, yeah, and Hugh. Yeah. yeah. And it's really interesting. Jack, Jack makes a comment that kind of shows... I, Actually, I'm not sure if it's a joke. I'll be curious to hear what you think of it. Mm. So they're walking along that alleyway. And Which is used in so many yes, shots. the same one. Show, yeah. <laughs> and Bert, I think, makes an observation. And Jack says, oh, great, just what we need, another amateur detective. Or, or no, what does he say? What it's, does he say? It's... It's so good because she says yeah with us professionals and I'm wondering to what extent he's joking but Mm. if he isn't then he is really viewing her as a professional there is this shift that happens and I'm not it's hard you know it's so subtle and he is so deadpan that it's hard to tell Mm -hmm. when he's making a joke I do love that little the comedy of that moment where like how many cops does it take to open a door you Mm -hmm. know like and she just you know pops herself over the top i think that's just hilarious well she so this is the second time that he refers to wearing the trousers or no wait 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 i'm sorry no because it comes on the heels of that so this is is this this episode is this that episode i forgot no, in one of the previous episodes, yeah, he says, "Well, we know who wears the trousers," and then it immediately was, cuts to her walking downstairs wearing trousers. trousers. That was Victoria Dock, right? And they kind of riffed on that very quickly, and then moved on, right? But I think it's really interesting that he claims she can't get over this fence because she's oh, wearing a wearing skirt. Wearing that, yeah, because yeah, because of her skirt. Miss Miss Fisher isn't going anywhere in that skirt. I may have misread it, but I read it as like that's a really nice garment. Don't get your garment dirty. Oh, I interpreted it as really. Yeah, you're wearing a skirt, so you can't do anything. He also refers to Bert and Sessa's ladies, which is interesting because I don't really think I've ever heard Jack in any other situation use that as an insult. I didn't even catch that, and I'm usually like hyper vigilant for. Yeah, he says, "You ladies stay here with Miss Fisher, and I'll climb over." And I, for, yeah, yeah, it really right I, over my I head. Really dislike that. Like, what are you doing, Jack? You're better than it's this. Kinda, it's kind of out of character. It is, yeah. But I don't, I don't think that we ever hear him use femininity derisively. No, and, ever and there again. are plenty of side characters and peripheral characters who do. Sure, yeah, in the show. And it kind of happens again and again, as mm-hmm. we would expect for a period piece like and that. And there are lots of situations where it would be easy for him to join in, but he never does. He always takes and, the high road. And that's road. part of why we love Jack so yeah. much is that he... Yeah, so yeah, you're right. I can't believe I didn't catch that. So yeah. yeah, that part really frustrates me. But then, of course, she one-ups him because she finds the the, the lever. And white silk. Yeah. Like. She finds the handle that opens up the door. Yep. So yeah, then they can all get in. No one will miss out on the fun, I think is what she says. <laughs> 
again, pretty grisly murder. I mean, it's bad enough that we had to, you know, that we see the car actually run the guy over, but then we had to see this close-up of him, and he's in his hospital bed, and he looks awful. (laughs) And I don't know. Like, it, it was a pretty, as far as, you know, murder mystery deaths go, it was pretty quiet, but... I don't know. That scene kind of stuck with me because hmm. I, I don't know if it was because they thought he was going to get better. He started talking and then he just kind of was gone. Yeah. Maybe it was just kind of jarring abrupt. that way. But I don't know that huh. the murders in this kind of stuck with me. Well, they were closer to home this time because these were friends. Of true. Her friends. True. So I think we were. Yeah, it's true that we kind of get inoculated against murder uh-huh. mystery murders because like, yep, another dead body because right. it's always the premise. Yep. And it becomes this joke. Yeah, like Six Feet Under, the the intro to every episode was some creative way that the person was going to die. Yeah. And they really had a lot of fun with it. And sometimes, I mean, they were really good. Yeah. But yeah, it's because every time somebody's going to die. So we're just used to it. And this time, oh, wait, those were actually people we knew and loved. So. Yeah, it's easy to just be like, eh, that's the dead body for this episode. There's actually an internet meme of um, a Murder, She Wrote one. Oh, really? You can Google it. If you just Google Angela Lan- or Murder, She Wrote, Who's Dead? <laughs> and it's a, it's a picture of Angela Lansbury on the phone with this gleeful, like, what? Look on her face and the caption says, who's dead? <laughs> that's really funny. <laughs> and that's kind of, we kind of fall into that. It's like, you know, it becomes this joke. It's like, you can almost be a drinking game. Mm-hmm. Like, you know. Franny, let's see. How many languages are we up to for Franny? She speaks Shanghainese or Cantonese. We're not sure mm-hmm. which. English and French, for sure. But then... Wasn't there some... She didn't speak Latvian. I think she spoke No, but French. wasn't there some sort of Spanish business with her tango instructor oh, or something? That's still to come, but... Yeah... I think so. Oh, well, she has that horrible Spanish accent. Oh, right. <laughs> Which almost counts as its own language. It's so bad. Can I sit with you? <laughs> it's so bad. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, it's sort of like, um, yeah, her Spanish accent is like Hank Azaria in, uh, in the birdcage. <laughs> Come on, Gloria. Yeah. It's so sassy to do. It's so good. It's so good. Okay, before I forget, Rene Dubois. Yes. The actor. Yes. Is Miranda Otto's husband. He is? Yes. Peter O'Brien is his name. Peter O'Brien? <laughs> That's a very French name. Yes. <laughs> it might so explain I, a terrible French accent. <laughs> yeah. But I like that like that both of them have been in this show. I know, and as bad guys. Mm, that's true. As they murderers. both were villains. Huh. Even though it is delivered in a terrible accent. He does have one of the better quotes, I think, of the of the episode, which is when he says, "There can be no brave new world if there is no brave new out." <laughs> <laughs> and I, after I got done laughing my face off, <laughs> I kind of realized, "Hey, that's a good quote." <laughs> <laughs> Even though he said that quote right after he made a terrible painting. Yeah, I definitely. Sorry, to and more wh- of a whoever, whoever they hired to do that. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, so yeah, we haven't really talked about the kiss and then I want to And as hostage. Not until I think the end of season one are we actually going to see her as a hostage again. That's true. That's true. So along with her flashbacks to post-war and her flashbacks to her relationship with Renee Dubois, we Mm -hmm. also see her as a physical hostage of Renee mm-hmm. in that one of those final scenes, yep. the, the kiss scene. And she is terrified. Terrified. And also really angry. Yeah. And her she has like angry tears. There it's there there's fear. There's so good. And the way she delivers that line, I am not afraid of you, oh, is so good. Well, it's so it, satisfying. Oh, yeah. It's so good. I feel like she was speaking for all of womankind when she said that. Yeah. And she has the gun cocked like right, right. at his heart. And and he, and even he still when he gets a hold of her and puts that gun against her chin, he treats her again like he holds her almost like a lover like he's mm-hmm. holding his face is really close to her and he's the way he's forced her head up it's almost a sensual pose mm-hmm. i mean it's he's still f- 
possesses her, or he sees himself as possessing her yeah. the way he used to. I, and even when he's holding her hostage, I still hear him saying that line, like, you're the only one who understands me. Right. So I'm going to stick a gun. Which classic stalker line, really. Totally. Oh, yeah. Classic. Yep. Yeah. So Pickup artist, men's rights active. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that's that was such an important scene for her character and also just for me. I mean, it was really satisfying to see her confront her demon. And how it's and, a very different story from 10 years earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he has underestimated her. Yeah, and he's an idiot as he, like, blows the kiss and backs away from her. And then steps into the kitchen <laughs> knife. Woo! And Veronique seems so surprised that this happened. I'm How like, did this giant what? butcher knife get in my hand? What hands? was your plan? What was the game Sacre plan? Bleu. <laughs> I have stabbed the bad guy. <laughs> were you going to cut up your broccoli or yeah, something with well, that? I mean, what were you planning to do with I, that giant knife? Snails can get kind of tough. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the kiss. Oh. The kiss, the kiss, the kiss, the kiss. It's the only one we're going to get for a while. <sighs> But it is a mighty fine one. It's good and juicy. Oh, yeah. I gotta say. Oh, yeah. He really goes for it. Man. Sorry, I'm just having a little moment. Yeah, like, I know. <laughs> I'm calling it up in my head. Yep. Yeah. I will. It's um, real good. I may or may not have um, watched that bit over and over and over again. I'm just, um, maybe, maybe, maybe not. I may or may not have watched many an animated GIF of that moment. <laughs> It's sort of like, did you ever see um, North and South, the BBC miniseries? Yeah, like with back the, in high school. With my favorite ever, Richard Armitage. Oh, my God. <laughs> if you ever want to do a Richard Armitage podcast, I'm in. Okay. Um, he plays, you know, Mr. Thornton. And uh, you find, like, four parts of the miniseries later, you finally get a kiss at the end. And it's, it's you know, entirely too short. And it's steamy Ugh. as heck. And, yeah, animated gift time. <laughs> Imminently rewatchable. Yep. And this kiss, this Franny and Jack kiss had a very similar quality to it. It really does. It is much too short. <sighs> but there's that But he goes for it. He Man. Goes, he goes for it. And then there's that moment where they're looking at each other. They're right afterwards. Close. Yeah. yeah. And they're both like, what does this mean? You know, in their heads, I assume. Well, but. you know, I don't know about you, but I think part of what makes... Jack so incredibly attractive and he's I don't know is he normally my type I don't know maybe but what I think is one of the things so attractive about Jack is his hands he has the most beautiful hands I can ever a, I can assure you those are frequently addressed oh my god. on Tumblr oh my god <laughs> and hands in the scene yeah. right there so when he gets he grabs the back of her head to yeah. bring her in for that kiss. His hand wraps around the entire... It's huge. I know! It's amazing. I'm not even going to follow the end of that thought. <laughs> Everybody on Tumblr is already there ahead of me. I don't even need to say it. I Yeah. And I already, like, I already know that his hands are really big. But watching that scene again, I'm like, oh my gosh, those are... They're huge. Yeah. Those hands are giant. And I'm like, hubba, hubba, hubba. <laughs> Jack. So, yeah, that's a pretty great scene. And Hugh, doesn't he later ask about it? Like, did you do that? Because yeah, because Hugh was in the line of sight. He saw it all happen. He saw it, and he was, I think, scandalized and at we the get moment. A little, we get a little Hugh reaction scene, a little, mm-hmm. little comedic gold there. But understated, he wasn't like, what? Like, he, you know. <laughs> oh, okay. That just reminded me. So, Rene Dubois meets up with Hector Chambers yeah, our, in the restaurant. Stooge. Yeah. Yes. But with the painting, he comes into the restaurant with the painting all wrapped up. Who, why would you do that? I think you should put a sign that says, there's not a stolen painting in here. But just like, it's in bulky. this painting shape. It's big. Package. Why would you bring this illegal thing into a restaurant? I'm like, it's just, it made no sense. It was yeah. really stupid. Well, you know, I bring my Maltese Falcon in like a Maltese Falcon shaped <laughs> vase that says not case. Maltese Falcon on the outside. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Yeah, the the plot holds in this one, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Franny is making out with Jack. Uh, it doesn't matter. They can do anything in this episode, yeah, and I'm yeah. still gonna watch. I know. Over and over, it's so I good. Know. Okay, and that that doesn't even. We haven't even touched on the very last scene in her parlor when Jack 
he's delivering the retrieved Uh, painting. And Jack is so... Nathan Page is so beautifully understated and how he plays every like his cards are so close to that chest mm-hmm. that it's so great to watch like you, you can tell like all the turmoil that's happening in that <laughs> brain of his but he's still just like you get a little twitch of the mouth and you get a little <clears throat> clear of the throat yep. and you get like a little flick of the eyes it's and the that's clearing, all you get. The clearing of the throat the swallow <laughs> in the middle of the statement that really gives him away and it's done so perfectly so, he's so good I know subtle understated You're blushing I'm a grown man, Miss Fisher. Not afraid of a little, seeing a little flesh. <laughs> so good. And then he uh, he gets out of there real fast. Real fast. Suspiciously and fast. And then her reaction is priceless. So I really think, like, <clears throat> she's enjoying, I think first she's sort of upset that he's leaving when he is. And then she enjoys the reaction that she's she had on him. She knows he's flustered. Yeah, but she has, like, almost tears in her eyes. To, like very, if you watch it again, you'll see. And her voice gets like really deep and throaty. Like she's very emotional about this departure. That's true. It's interesting. I wonder if it also is something like what she's gone through. I love that. What what we haven't talked about too is after it's over, and Renee has you know run into the steak knife, <laughs> butcher knife, <laughs> Ginzu knife, um, and she is and Jack kind of sees to her. And he is so compassionate mm-hmm. in that moment. It is such and a And not in like moment. a conquering hero, Dudley Do-Right no. kind of way, but actually as like, I see you as an equal, where yeah. you're my friend, are you okay kind of moment. And it's incredibly sweet. Yeah. It's similar to that moment in Ruddy Gore after she gets flattened yeah. and he, he like pounces like to get yeah. her out of the way. And, and he calls her Phryne at that moment he and calls not her Miss Fisher. And then she's sitting there kind of nursing her head wound and she grabs his arm and it's just really subtle but he like bends down and faces her and says are you okay? Yeah. And it's just really sweet. Yeah. And yeah it isn't patronizing. It isn't um, yeah it isn't gross. It it's isn't just, like manly chivalry. No. Yeah. No it's like really no, you're, you're my friend. You're my How friend. Help and, you? Yeah. It's really sweet. And I, so those moments, they're yeah. almost as good as the kiss, honestly. Yeah, totally. Oh, totally. Because they're establishing, like, the, the peerage, you know, like, the, that they're on the same level. And it's, it's really sweet. I love them. <laughs> I feel like all the rest of the stuff we talked about in this episode was just a ruse because we just really, yeah, really. wanted to I talk know. about we basically like it was sitting i'm sitting here staring at it the whole time like can't talk about it yet can't no nope. it's too soon no we gotta talk about some other stuff yeah we touched on earlier and i was like no I, it's yeah. not no. time yet no we gotta do something else we have to earn our right to talk about the scene oh man but yeah it's um it's a pretty delicious episode mm-hmm. there's a lot of good stuff going on in that one even if the plot is ridiculous but i don't care i don't care and I think this brings us to my absolute favorite quote. At the very end, when, when, he, when he unwraps the painting in, in front of her, and he says, this is certainly a well-traveled work of art, and she replies, a little like me. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> so good. It is really perfect for her. So I think it's time for a toast. Yes. As always. And um, I don't know about you, but I'm always ready to toast a well-traveled work of art. <laughs> To well-traveled works of art. Cheers. Cheers. Peter O'Brien. It's <laughs> a very French name. <laughs>